HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The in them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you some. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. My name is Souther Teague. Hey, Souther. How you doing, buddy? I'm super well. Happy to be here. Excellent. It's a day in Brooklyn. It is. It is a day in Brooklyn. <laughs> I was just commenting on your shirt. Oh, yeah. uh, you, you were just uh, recently in Cleveland. You're yeah. wearing this Porco Lounge and Tiki Room shirt. I love it, man. It's great is, design. place is great. Um, tiki Bar in Cleveland, Ohio. That's right where Tiki Bars come from, right? Well, that's where the Con Tiki was, don't forget. Yeah, in I mean, fact, these guys went and salvaged a lot of the decor from there. Like they got this giant like uh, um, sailboat up inside the yeah. ceiling. They've got their the actual front doors of the Contiki are on the front of this place. Like it's, yeah, Adam Coles, our t- or better known as Tiki Adam, he's mm-hmm. from Ohio, and he uh, he's told me a lot about Contiki, and so it just makes sense. It's it's I think there's a, a some strong reasoning behind uh, the reason why they were. Tiki bars in Ohio. It's yeah, that it's escapism. Exactly. You know? Total landlocked. Well, yeah. I mean, they're not totally landlocked. They're near, near the lakes and whatever, but sure. they're not in any, like, Polynesian waters, that's for sure. That's true. But, man, this this place, Porco, they're killing it. A guy named Stefan Waz owns the place. It's cool, man. It's amazing. Well, next time I'm in, in Cleveland, <laughs> at the Rock and Roll Hall of I know, Fame. I know you're frequently... In Cleveland. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I need to go. I need to go. I've actually, I'll go. I'm going back. So you go with me. Let's tape a show there. Uh, deal. All right, cool. All right. What are we going to do on this show today? We're going to talk with Henry Jeffries. He just released a book called Empire of Booze, and uh, it's the, a history of the British Empire told through drink. Welcome to the show, Henry. Thank you for, thank you for having me. Yeah, Absolutely, man. Yeah. Welcome here. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's jump into it, man. Let's let's talk about the your book. Empire of Booze. Empire of Booze. Well, the title is this where, the best thing about it. Is this it. where the empire strikes back? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the next book. <laughs> Uh, but which is a prequel. Um, so Empire <laughs> of Booze, 
technically it's a prequel. It's kind of taking us through a history of the British Empire and how it... Well, it, it, was, it was meant to be a kind of history of Britain told through drink, but it actually turned out to be a kind of history of drink told through Britain. What really interested me were the drinks. So it's about how Britain, by basically meddling around the world and becoming rich and powerful, inadvertently created drinks like port, rum, whiskey, India Pale Ale, that sort of thing. Sure. Yeah. That, that's uh, the first thing that comes to mind for me is rum. Yeah. You know. I always think of the British Empire as the gin tonic because I, I, I have jokingly said sure. like without the, the you know the addition of tonic which was you know malaria, quinine you know, yeah would push away malaria. Um, without the addition of the tonic to the gin, then the map of the world would look very different. Well, they'd all be dead, wouldn't they? Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I mean, they are, they are dead already, but they would have died sooner. Yeah, yeah. And not before they finished whatever yeah. they were doing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> No, I thought it was a very kind of British attitude to a problem. You've got this tonic that tastes revolting. Let's stick some gin in it, you know, make it taste better. Yeah, a spoonful of gin makes the medicine go down. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I feel that way about the, the old-fashioned. I feel like it's like you got bitters, which is your medicine. They're bitter. You water it down to make it more palatable. Maybe put some sweetener in there to, yeah. you know, balance it out. It's like then the old-school mentality was just, hey, let's just throw some booze in there, too. And then all of a sudden you got the old-fashioned. Yeah. But yeah, the uh, that's an interesting thought. So the uh, the map of the world would look a lot different without tonic. Well, I used to give a gin class uh, all the time. You know, when we had Gin Palace, and I would I would have to talk about the styles of gin and where they came from and how they got there. And then when, of course, I got to old, uh, London Dry Gin, I would say, well, then these guys were down exploring Africa, a lot of mosquitoes. I mean, is this is something like this? In your, I haven't read the yeah, book yeah, yet. Yeah, they had, there's lots. Full about, there's lots about uh, sort of mos- mosquitoes. And but so these guys are out and discovering and exploring, and they realize that they've got this malaria tonic on their hands, and they've also got plenty of gin on their hands at that time. Yeah, they didn't have any ice though, so you know, they yeah, must, like, must have been. A, they were just thinking, this drink just needs something. It doesn't make any noise when you go like that. Yeah. <laughs> and then someone, I think it was probably an American, because Americans have been very into ice for a long time. Yeah. And so, but probably an American just was like. Why don't we put some ice in it? And then it was Ooh. like, <gasps> amazing. Yeah. And then likely, you know, along came effervescence. Oh, that even lightened it up more. Yeah. <laughs> but when British people went to America in the 19th century, they used to just be amazed by the amount of ice that was around. People would just, because the Americans would put ice in anything. The British would like, what, what the hell are they doing? They're putting ice in their beer. They're putting ice in, you know, in their tonic water. Yeah, well, we're we, super chill over here. We, uh, <laughs> if you go to a British we, we restaurant and ask for a glass of water, they still won't put ice in it. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, which I kind of actually prefer. I don't put ice in the drink in the water at a more either. Um, but that's a, I have a whole different reason for that. It's all about metabolism. You, you metabolize water that's room temperature faster than you do water that's chilled. That's um, a top fact. Yeah, yeah. It's um, you know, hi- hydration is important while you're drinking. So if you're drinking ice water while you're drinking, you're not keeping up with that hydration level that you need. That, that The old adage, one drink to one water. Right. If it's ice water, you're not really getting the benefit. Maybe that's why I've got a hangover, because I was drinking ice water. <laughs> yeah, hangover this, yeah. this, this yeah, afternoon. Yeah, blame the ice. <laughs> <laughs> the piano has been drinking yeah. with me. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Um, so how did you set out to write this book? Did someone come to you and say, you wrote a book about breakfast, now write this? Well, it was, it was a very long drawn out. I had the idea when I used to work for a wine merchant, and I kind of had the idea because I saw all these bottles of Taylor's Port and Harvey's Bristol Cream and things like that. So I thought there's a kind of story about Britain. And I kind of played with it for a long time. And I went to lots of, um, I went to lots of publishers with, with, with my agent, I got a, a literary agent, and he got in touch with me. He was the person who worked on the, the breakfast book. Mm-hmm. 
And he said, you must have an idea for a book. So I told him about Empire of Booze. And he said, great idea. So we took it to a few publishers and they weren't very interested. And then he kind of lost interest in it as well. But then he was a, he was a former alcoholic. So a book about booze probably wasn't, you know, wasn't the best book for him to be doing. I don't know. Make some money off your demon. Yeah. Well, he specialized in books by washed up rock stars that he met through Alcoholics Anonymous. So that was his, that was his kind of shtick. <laughs> and a sort of book about booze he, he wasn't very interested in. So anyway, th- then I went to a publisher that crowdsourced the first print run. And that's how it happened. So it was a kind of a kind of modern publishing story. And how did you go about doing the research for this thing? Just, you know, sitting in bars, drinking, thinking, doing a bit of reading. Um, and then I went to Porto and round distilleries and bit of beef eater in London and a few in Scotland and that kind of stuff. Went to Hereth. So I sort of yeah, yeah. did a lot of traveling. Wow. All so, the, so all there the, may be all the trade, all the trade routes. That, yeah, right. <laughs> all the trade routes. You just went and sort of sought them out on your own and saw how, how things were moving. Yeah, yeah. I just sort of d- did the kind of journey that a lot of um, British people had done before me. Though I did it, you know, in a more, more comfortable surroundings. I flew rather than going on a, a wooden ship. <laughs> a wooden ship that yeah. took, took you know, half years. a year or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've modernized travel considerably since then. I've often wondered what the because I've never been to India, um, but I've often wondered what the drinking culture is there compared to the the old British days. Well, I think they still drink a lot of whiskey. I think whiskey is right. the sort of main drink. It's and like I, three pipers, right? Yeah, like, three pipers. Or if you go to a wedding in India, I've never been to a wedding in India. Apparently, a posh one they'll have Johnny Walker Black Label bottle on each table. And that's what they and that's what they drink. So they have a sort of slightly, I suppose, quite an old fashioned drinking culture. You know, people don't really drink wine. I don't think many people drink beer. I think when you drink, you drink. Yeah. And then the rest of the time you don't drink. <laughs> whatever time, what you, whatever what you, time what is left over. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, 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 sleep. Sleep? Yeah, when you're sleeping. Yeah, you're sleep when you're dead. Um, I pray for that day. Cool. Um, so, like, from the, from the pages I've read so far in the book, I it's... Great cover, like great artwork. Um, actually, uh, my friend Mariah uh, uh, lent me the book to uh, start reading, and um, it's it's my favorite kind of reading because it, it reminds me. There's a book uh, uh, I can't remember. I think it's, uh, Ian Gailey, maybe. There's a book called Alcoholica Esoterica. It's out in Penguin Publishing. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, that book's great. It's just like anecdotal, like mm-hmm. history of drinking and. Your book is kind of that, but just specifically like on the British side. So yeah. there's like there's some really cool stuff about. Um, let's talk about something that's always fascinating to me: champagne. Let's talk about that okay. for a second. Well, the champagne one is a sort of controversial one because a lot of people have claimed that the British actually invented champagne, right. which is kind of bollocks because they didn't really. But but what they did invent was strong glass so that when you try and ferment something <laughs> in a bottle, it would have just exploded. Um, but this um, man called Sir Kenham Digby invented a process for firing glass, making a very strong, dark glass that's still known in France as, as, as Vert Anglais. And then there, there were scientists at the Royal Society, which was a sort of organisation like Isaac Newton was a member. So they were discovering gravity and elasticity and things like that but they were also experimenting with bottle fermented cider so there were people reading papers saying you know i put some sugar in and i put some yeast in and i put the cork in um, and then it exploded and then i got a stronger glass and eventually they made sort of very rudimentary sparkling wines and ciders but what they didn't do was 
kind of industrialised the process, which they did in Champagne. The champ- the sh- in Champagne, they actually perfected it and made it reliable, whereas this was just a few kind of... Crackpots? Crackpots, basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Derelicts with time on their hands. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and they never did anything with it. They just, you know, it became... A, it was a curiosity, whereas the French actually perfected it and made the method champenois. So they, you know, the French invented champagne. Right, but without this, without this strong glass bottle, they would just had a lot of broken oh, yeah. glass and a lot of wasted grape juice. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Really yeasty wine. <laughs> a lot of yeasty spilled wine everywhere with glass. <laughs> right? Broken glass everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> they used to wear, they used to wear <laughs> metal masks in the, in the, uh, the cellars of Epinay. Oh, in the riddling wombs? In the riddling rooms? To, 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 to protect them, because they still used to explode like one in yeah, 25, whatever. something like that. Oh, God. I mean, I used to be a home brewer. That's, a, that's still a common thing, you know? One and definitely going to have one or two bottles explode in your in your batch. Jesus Christ! Just happens, man. That's that's why I drink whiskey. Yeah, well, <laughs> whiskey doesn't explode on you. Let's talk about whiskey then. Yeah. <laughs> what influence did the British have on modern day whiskey? Well, it's, it's, I haven't read a single page of the book. Sadly, it's uh, no it's, one loaned me a copy. <laughs> um, well, the Scots, you know, the Scots sort of. Uh, they make the best whiskey in the world. They are the sort of um, they make the definitive whiskey, um, and but they the well, Japanese are hot on their heels. The Japanese are, <laughs> but what the Scots were very good at doing was was marketing their product. So the Irish made very good whiskey as well, but the Scots were very good at at selling it. So they you know, they created this very sort of wonderful image of Scots with kilts and claymores and stags and stuff. So basically, they were very good at exploiting this kind of romantic ideal of Scotland to push whiskey. And they yeah. were also very good at, they invented blended whiskey. So previously you'd have had single malt whiskey, which would have been, you know, tasted very distinctive. And then you'd have had sort of lowland whiskeys, which weren't so interesting. And they had the kind of clever idea of mixing them together. Yeah, let's so you mix got a couple of these things. So you get a bit of interest, but it's nothing to scare the English with. So um, they could, they could <laughs> sell, it to, sell it to people in London. Yeah, and you put a, a castle or some antlers on the label, and it's like, done, man. Yeah. yeah. Definitely buying that. And then the money just started rolling in yeah. as soon as the antlers <laughs> went on the label. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. It's all about I mean, marketing. I mean, it's all about marketing. That's yeah. what you do, design and all that jazz. I get it. Dude. Uh, yeah, man. I mean. Put some antlers on it. I, you know, you've told me more than once in the past that the design of, of a label will often be the deciding factor. Because well, you, you said it, how it has to look on your back bar, how it has to. It's it's not the end product of the whole thing, but it helps. Yeah, you know? and, and it's really it's just based on like consumers, like you're saying. You know, it's like if it looks good, like if you can gift it to someone. Yeah, you know, is it regiftable? It can <laughs> I don't know if that's legal. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we're right at the halfway mark, so we should take a break. Hear from our sponsor. And then we'll come back and talk more about the empire of booze. Heritage Foods USA is a farm-to-table online butcher and founding sponsor of Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Foods got its start when Patrick Martin's first stepped foot onto Frank Reese's Kansas farm in 2001. Back then, Frank was the only farmer in America raising true heritage turkeys with recorded lineages tracing back more than 150 years. Patrick knew instantly he'd found a unique moment, an opportunity to go beyond acknowledging these breeds as being jeopardized and to actually do something to save them. Patrick asked Frank to ramp up production and made a promise to him that if he would raise them, Heritage Foods USA would sell them. 
That was the moment that Heritage Foods slogan, Eat Them to Save Them, was born. By creating a market for delicious meats from Heritage Breeds, we can ensure they'll be around for generations to come. Plus, Heritage Breeds just tastes a whole lot better. Learn more at HeritageFoodsUSA.com and use the code HERITAGERADIO for two free pork chops with your first order, brother. All right, we are back. You're listening to the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. We have Henry Jeffries, author of Empire of Booze, in the studio, and we've just been talking about his book. Um, so what is your, uh, what's your favorite part of the book? I think my favorite part is um, the chapter on Sicily, because it's the, probably the least known part of kind of British booze adventures. If you go to Western Sicily, you see all these strange Georgian, crumbling Georgian buildings dotted around that look like they should be in Bath or Cheltenham or, or, or somewhere like that, you know, like an English spa town. But they were in Sicily. And there was this very brief period where masala wine was incredibly lucrative. And there were all these British people, not just British people, but Italians as well, harvesting the grapes, making a wine that was quite similar to sherry, and just making a shed load of money. And there was this sort of Anglo Italian aristocracy in Palermo who built these mansions and put on these huge balls, and you know it was like sort of the Marsala barons. They were like it was like Dallas, but with um, <laughs> but with uh, but with Masala. And then it kind of this was from about eighteen. Who shot Jr. That's Giancarlo. <laughs> and then in about the twenties, it started to decline, and Masala became a kind of bastardized wine that was only used for cooking. And all the sort of buildings crumbled. And if you go to Masala now, there's one a warehouse which is owned by the Florio Company, which is still thriving. But the two British companies, the Inghams and the, and the um, Woodhouse, they're just crumbling. There's just the buildings that are derelict. So you get some idea of that it used to be this huge business and now it's kind of nothing. So it's sort of, it's very melancholy. But also there are a few people still making very good Masalas and they are the most wonderful wines because they taste of sort of, North Africa, you get these amazing kind of dried fruit, almond-type flavors. So if you, if you can search out a good masala, they are spectacular. Hmm. That's really and, interesting. I mean, like, especially you would think that, like, now would be a good time for that as well because there's been such a, like, a recent sherry boom. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah, fortified wines are crushing. Sherry, vermouth. Yeah. Right at the forefront, but you don't hear much about masala. No. Or port wine, well, for that matter. Well, yeah, I mean, more about port, but not necessarily my solid. But, like, it, yeah, like you said, it's only, like, ever mentioned in cooking. It's Madeira. Not, yeah, all the fortified ones are. But I feel like they are. You're right. There, there's, there's plenty of room in that category for more uprising, more resurgence. Yeah, there's, there's one company who make spectacular ones. They're called Di Bartoli. They do everything the old-fashioned way. They hand-harvest the grapes. They do all the, all the grapes come from their own vineyards, and they make it in the sort of time-honored fashion. And their wines are spectacular, but they only make them in very small quantities, and they're quite quite expensive. It'll be like fifty dollars for a half bottle, but mm. they're worth it. That's uh, speak my language now. Yeah, and they're great really in cocktails. They're great in, co- they're great in cocktails <laughs> as well. There's a bar in London, uh, sixty nine Colbrook Row, that makes yeah. a a masala Tony, martini. That's it. Yeah, Tony, Tony Pinglayers. Yeah, yeah. Tony C. Tony C. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's he's pretty good at. And mixing stuff together. Yeah. yeah. He's made a name for himself. He's doing all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're here in New York City. It doesn't sound like you're from here. Um, no, I'm from London. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're, are you here to tour the book? Are you going to be doing some signings? What's going on? Yeah, I, I, I did a talk, actually, last night at this sort of uh, gentleman's club, which I don't mean a strip club. I mean, like, a before, <laughs> before gentleman's clubs were strip clubs. 
a club for you know. Come on, they're, they're always kind of strip clubs. Yeah, yeah. There, there was no stripping. Yeah. All, the, all, all the clothes stayed on, and I did a talk there, and then I was on Power Lunch on CNBC yesterday, mm. looking very awkward. Um, <laughs> and, that, and then I've got a few meetings, but that's that's about it, really. And then back to London. You're yeah, not touring around on America at all. No one wanted me. You know, I've been phoned, I phoned up all these bookshops in <laughs> Cleveland, Ohio, and said, "Do you want me to do a talk?" And they just said, "Never heard of you." So go back to London. Uh, you gotta, you gotta make your name a little bit first, I guess. To, yeah, uh, <laughs> I could do, I could do a gig at Porco's maybe when I'm a bit. Yeah, I think you should. I'll talk to Stefan. He'll be into it. He's game for anything. Okay, uh, they'll they'll put some. It's game. Game for anything. For anything. Yes. Right. Uh, and I mean anything. They'll, he'll, they'll put your book to work and they'll make some tiki drinks out of all this stuff, um, which is what they did to me. It was great. Made a bunch of bitter tiki drinks. You know what? Okay. I, uh, great. Uh, I'm sorry to jump off top, topic of your book, but this is you should hear. Porco Lounge <laughs> is the number one purchaser of Fernet Branca in the region, not just the state, the region. That extends up to Chicago. Right? <laughs> Interesting. They are not even close to the number one seller. They drink it all. Yeah, sure. I mean that. that their whole that's team. Not surprising. Their whole team are for net nuts. Like they run this tiki bar, all this sugar, all this juice everywhere, and all they want is for net. <laughs> that never surprises me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they drink a lot of it in Argentina, don't they? Isn't it the national drink? Oh in yeah, Argentina. Fernet con coca. Fernet con coca. It's actually. Making me want to go back to the topic of rum. Um, yeah, let's talk more about rum. So, I mean, I know about like the 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 British Navy had like their rations of rum, uh, like they're taught, as it were. Um, when did I, I'm having a hard time remembering when when did that get cut off? I think it was <laughs> 1970 was when they stopped okay. giving a giving a tot of rum. Oh yeah, that's it. 1970 for sure. Which was good, like, called like Black Tot Day, right? And um, you know, it was a sad moment in imperial decline. I think it was the moment when Britain finally declined. They're like, we're not sailing. Yeah, we, anymore. we became a second <laughs> second rate power after that. Was all us, all the sailors were sober. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, they it, didn't, it took they, away some of their courage. Yeah, they didn't have enough fight left in them. Right? Um, what are we fighting for? Uh, <laughs> on we on a boat. I'm depressed. Right. <laughs> um. I th- I think that that's that date is amazing to me because like <laughs> like 1970 wasn't really that long ago. I was alive. The American Navy yeah. was sober in the 19th century, so the, the American Navy was famously sober. There was no there was no drink yeah. on board, whereas the British Navy, you know, they had everything. They, masala. They drank a lot. The officers drank masala, and the uh, the ordinary crew drank drank rum. Right, so that was just so they could the, the officers weren't getting as tanked, so they could still have well, a little bit of control. They, they, they got pretty hammered on. <laughs> but they, they still had a little more control over the they had like sugar hangovers over the, <laughs> yeah, the I, rest I, of the crew. I, the you know, that'd make me like not want to advance in the the military. And just like just gonna hang around here with all these ding dongs and drink rum, man. <laughs> so all throughout the book, you Swap you talk deck. about the spirits themselves and the wines themselves, and then you delve into. For every chapter, there's a cocktail or two. Is that well? There's there's a kind of a a, a, there's some cocktails, but there's also um, a guide, a sort of buyer's guide. So you can basically drink your way through the book. So you read a chapter on port, and then it's like, ooh, Taylor's ten year old. 
you know, have, have a glass of that. In fact, I, I missed a trick. I should have offered a special edition that comes with a case of case of liquor. And then <laughs> it's not you, too late. And then you can actually, yeah, no, I'll do it. Maybe next Christmas. Yeah, this, this is, is coming Christmas. This is a Christmas a package. Edition. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll sell them at a more. <laughs> you, could, yeah. you could charge like $500 for it, but, you know, you could put some seriously good yeah. booze in, special edition of the book. Maybe I could come around and drink it with you. That could be the sort of... You know, like those whiskey For things. an extra 50 bucks? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and for an extra 50, I won't come around. <laughs> 50 bucks, he'll come around. 100 bucks, he'll stay away. <laughs> so what? So like, what's your favorite drink and how it ties into the chapter that you're talking about in the book? Um, or, what? you know, it doesn't be favorite. What's the one, what's one you'd like to talk about? Well, I really like, I mean, I'm, I'm very keen on fortified wines. Mm. So port, I think, is, um, like. is, is, is a fantastic drink. And that was a great... That was a great trip. I went, I went out to the Douro Valley. Mm-hmm. We went down the, the river in these old-fashioned barges, the barcos that look a bit like, I don't know, what are they called? Rebelas. And they look a bit like um, Viking longboats. Sure. And they used to come down. They used to go up the hill. They used to walk cross-country through up the Douro Valley for two, two weeks, buy the wine, and then come down the rapids on these little Viking boats. And they often used to sink and people used to drown. So that so it was, it's makes the wine taste better. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think that element of danger. Mm, this tastes it... like a bunch of people died. <laughs> <laughs> that's what. Jesus. That's that makes the wine taste better. Have you not heard this before? No. All right. Maybe oh it's just God. me. Uh, so, so, so is there a cocktail that involves port, or you just you, you, in you that know, chapter I, I you just have, recommend drinking with port? I have tried port? a cocktail that which I thought was actually a bit revolting. I think it's called a a, a Princeton or something, and it's mm-hmm. gin, like very cold gin, and then you pour. Port down the side, yeah, and it goes, it sinks so to the you bottom. Get, you get like a double layer effect. It looks really cool. Tastes looks great. Absolutely disgusting. It's like a Poos Cafe with gin on top. It's yeah, it's like it's chilled gin, right? And then you you take like your bar spoon or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah. You you pour the, you basically do a sinker of uh, of port, and I, I don't even remember. I think it's like an orange twist. It makes sense. Um, is there a reason why one would do this? Sounds like no you're ruining two good idea. things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like you're taking two good things and making one bad one. Yeah. Get, it, I mean, you know, it's, let's get Wonderich on the phone. Wonderich, why do they do this? So <laughs> <laughs> white port is nice in cocktails. White port, yeah, you, can, sure. you know, you can use it like 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 sherry or something. But I, I've never found a cocktail with proper red port that that really worked. Mm. Yeah, the Princeton is like one of the few that I found. Um, Unless you're talking about like a singery, but even then, if you're gonna do like a, a port port wine singery, it's like why not make it a royale? Because then you kind of cut a lot of the sweetness because singery is just like port and sh- sugar, a crushed a ice, twist. yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, How it's long? kind of funny. you don't really see. Yeah, I guess you see a lot more white port than than red port in cocktails. In cocktails. Yeah. yeah. What? Uh, but you never see white port just on a list, as, as, like as a pour, you know. If you go to That's if true. you go to Porto, they always they always get the white port out, and then they secretly admit to you that they prefer sherry. They'll always be like, "Let's have some white port," and then you go, "Have you got any Tio Pepe?" And they go, "Yeah, let's have some Tio Pepe." <laughs> <laughs> Dirty secrets, you know. No one. I think it's weird. Nobody likes their own juice except us, right? Everywhere I go. Yeah. Well, in the Scotch, the Scotch definitely were drinking some whiskey while I was there. But even some of the people there are kind of like, oh, I'd rather have a bourbon because Scotch is an old man's drink. 
And then when I was in France, like nobody drinks cognac. No one. No, no, no they all drink whiskey. They, yeah. they, they, they love whiskey. They, they love like whiskey the and a lot, vodka Red Bulls. and a lot of vodka. <laughs> yeah, vodka Red Bull. That's what I saw huge. the most. Like, huge in France. Yeah. Big in France. So yeah, it doesn't surprise me that they they'd pull out the port and then and then be real happy to switch to something else. Nobody wants to drink their own juice except us. Americans love American whiskey. But if anyone from the uh, tourism board of Portugal is out there listening to the show, we would absolutely love to visit. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Portugal. Bring us on over and teach us all about it. Yeah, make us love it. Um, <laughs> uh, what? So what? I didn't ask at the top of the show. What was your impetus for writing this? Like you. you, you um, like sometimes I, I, I know when we talk to authors, it's it, honestly the, one of the weird answers we, we get is that kind of recurs is uh, I had all this information in my head and I wanted to get it out. That, that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. yeah. And also, I was worried that someone else would write it. I thought it was you know it's just it's a good story. It's a good way of writing about the drinks that I like drinking. It basically, was an excuse to write a, a drink book, and I needed a narrative to thread it all together. <laughs> so why not British Empire? Yeah. And you got to. Do some drinking do and some traveling. Drinking. It's it's called, like. Do some field traveling. research, R and D. Yeah, yes, field R and D is the best R and D. Yeah, R and D in your own little bubble is cool, but I do field research, like going out and seeing the thing. That's that's how. But it, it would happen. My my wife would you know would be like Henry, you're drunk, and I go, I'm, I'm not drunk. I'm researching. I'm yeah. you know I'm working. I'm, this is this is work for me. I'm <laughs> hip deep in work right now. I'd appreciate some alone time. <laughs> Now get out of the bathroom and let me finish throwing up. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's about it for the show yeah, today. Um, Henry, it's been really great having you on the show. Well, thank you for having me. It's been great fun. Um, yeah, really excited to uh, get your book out there, and uh, I'm sh- sure you are as well. Um, the book's called Empire of Booze. It's out through the publishing company is Unbound. Unbound. And you can get it through um, through Amazon, I think. That's hopefully, I, I hopefully you can yeah. because they, that's the they're quite well known, aren't they? <laughs> you get everything through. Yeah, it's a little mom and pop shop yeah. here. Um, <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Amazon run it uh, with their son. Um, so it's available on Amazon. What's a, uh, what's the price tag? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, well, twelve ninety nine in English pounds. Don't know what it is in dollars. That's okay, like 20, twenty four bucks, twenty five bucks maybe. Get it. So, yeah, uh, the book looks handsome. I can't wait to get a, a hold of it. It's definitely the type of read that I enjoy. Um, I enjoy I'll get someone to send you one. I can't believe no one sent you a book. I well, feel like he's got a copy. Right. You know, I'll get man. my. I'll get the publishers to send you one. I'd love it. You're going to sign it for me. I don't know how I would do it, but I mean, maybe I yeah. I go into the office and sign it, and then send it to you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It should have like a, a like a a ring on it from a drink that you put like, while you're. Thinking about what to sign to Souther. Yeah, some like, spilt port. Read more, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Invent me some more time, and I will read more. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, cool. So thank you, Henry Jeffrey, for being on the show today. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you. Um, so everyone out there listening to this show right now, uh, check out the book, Empire of Booze, uh, a history of the British Empire told through drink. Um, that's it for the show this week. Check out Heritage Radio Network for many more programs like this one. Uh, until next week, I'm Damon Bolte. My name is Southern T. Thanks, Henry. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Thank Cheers. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll. Lord knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. 
Food Radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Yeah.